0: I am stoked. I am really stoked. This could possibly be our last day in the book of Leviticus. (laughs) Woohoo! No, man, it's been a blast. No, it really has been, you know. um, Just, you know, there's some books you begin to outline and you begin to chart and you start to think, oh my goodness, this is going to be a long book to go through. Um, but then, you know, every time I do that, and I, I think it's a mistake, you, you know, just going back and think, okay, what did I get out of this? You know, and every time, I, I guess, even, even if not one person got a thing, I mean, I, you know, I just feel, I, I don't know, the, the, the theme of the book, you know, Holiness over 152 times. Holy, holy, holy. Twice in the chapter 11, I think it is, be holy for I am holy. And there's other places. Chapter 20, I think the same thing's there. To be holy. I think we make the mistake and we think of holiness um, something we can achieve work towards it. And you really can't. It's a desire. I I get that. It's a desire we all should have. We want to be holy. I'm going to touch on that towards the end. But you can't work for it. You can't obtain it. It's something God does within our lives. We grow in it. We grow in it. I don't know if you've read ahead. I pray you do pray you do and listen we're going into the book of numbers next and I always encourage you guys to study ahead at least five chapters read it reread it Um, it, it, There's a lot of numbering going on in the beginning of the book and you're thinking oh no here we go with one of these books again no no. later on in the book of Numbers gets gets a little juicier so it's going to be fun I promise you but um, read ahead always read ahead But if you have, and you've read ahead in chapter 27, uh, you you might think, well, this is an odd chapter. Um, Well, to be at the end of the book, this is an odd chapter. In fact, some scholars don't even know why it's here. I've read it and reread it, and I thought, well, maybe it's an addendum or a script of some sort, um, something that maybe Moses forgot to put in there but wanted to I don't know, but after reading it, I get it. I, I think I get it. I think it's almost what, what the author is trying to show to us. This last chapter is the heart of all the sacrifices. It's the heart. Um, you know, you read through the book of Leviticus and most of the sacrifices in this book are obligatory. They're, they're mandated, they're, they're, um, it's a demand. But in this chapter, it's almost like the free will offerings. You, you don't have to do this. These, this is a chapter of dedication. You're dedicating something. And the reason why I believe we can get through this chapter is because we're just going to outline it together, and you'll you'll know why when I'm done. Um, but th- for most part, these offerings or dedications is from the heart. You don't have to do it. You know, it's amazing. That's the way the book started off. The first three chapters in the book of Leviticus were three free will offerings. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, my quirkiness, but I still don't get this. Maybe my humanness, if that's a, another Harryism for, for you guys that are writing them down. Um... I know, in my nature, I, I, I like to demand things. I, I don't try to be that way, but you think about even raising kids, you know. There are certain things that you just expect. It's almost like a, a command. You are to be in a certain time, and we're not going to even talk about it. With us, it was the streetlights, right? We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, none of us had a watch, you know. So the streetlights, you better be home by that time the streetlights go on. Anybody ever w- w- late? you know, you're always late because you didn't know until the lights went on. You're already dead, you know. So you're racing, jumping over fences to get home. Dogs are trying to bite you. You're going through neighbor's yards, you know. And... No, we're that way. If you're an employer, there are certain commands, demands that you make on your employees. It's just the way things are. But the way God starts this book off, he, he appeals to the heart. He tells the nation, I'm taking you out of a land, a land of bondage. I'm going to bring you into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be a different people. So don't look to the rear. I don't want you to start thinking about Egypt. I don't want you to look to their left and think about the Ammonites or to the, to the left and thinking about the Amalekites. I, I just, I, I just, I'm bringing you into the land. You're my people. I love you. And when you get in there, um, there are going to be these offerings that you can make. And the first one will be a burnt offering. Now, the burnt offering um, is where you, if you were an Israelite, Hebrew, and you wanted to consecrate your life to him, you would bring this huge animal if you could afford one. And you would bring it to the, the opening of that courtyard and the priest would, would meet you there and you would walk together to this place called the altar of judgment. It was, it was built out of earth and stone. Nothing glamorous about it at all. And before you got too, further, too far in, you would stop and the priest then would come and he would kind of lean his chest against this huge animal Uh, take a knife and cut the throat of the animal. And of course, the the heart, the blood would push, the heart would push the blood out. That animal would be totally consumed. But that was your way of showing God, I love you and I want to consecrate my life. I'm all in. I'm all in. The one that followed after that in chapter 2 was a, um, I think it was the grain offering. The grain offering also was called the offering of service. That's where, hey, all right, right, I've, I've, all the chips are in, but now I want to serve you. I want a little more than just being totally consecrated. So again, if you could afford it, you would bring part of your livestock. If you couldn't afford that, you would bring some kind of, grain or something and then you would offer that to the priest and the priest would keep part of that but it all had to be consumed every bit of it you weren't allowed to take any of it home so after you gave that and again it's you didn't have to it's free will see this is what that bugs me a little bit you know because my nature says no I'm going to demand your consecration I'm going to demand your service and the next one was fellowship Now that one, you were allowed to take something home. The reason you were allowed to take that home was because God wanted you to fellowship with your family, fellowship with God. But then again, that was voluntary. The only mandated or... um, A required sacrifice was the sin and the trespass offering. Those you couldn't negotiate with God. You did that once a year, your sin issue personally and nationally would be taken care of. So, but I guess if you really wanted a relationship with a people, you would appeal to their love, wouldn't you? Their heart. You wouldn't be demanding your, your consecration. You wouldn't be demanding service because then that is legalism, that you're force-fed. You will do this because if you do that, then there will be no free will fellowship with God. And that's the way legalism is. When that Christian falls into this legalistic mentality that I got to do this, I'm telling you, it might take some time, but you will head to burnout and going to church will be drudgery. Reading your Bible will be an effort. Talking to God in prayer will be a task. But when you realize that God said all these things, he's appealing to the heart. It becomes a love relationship between God and you And you're just falling more and more in love with this God who sent his son to die for you. Your natural response is, Lord, I want all chips in then. If you love me that much, man, I want every, I don't want to hold anything back. Why would I want to hold anything back? Here you go, God. Now, we don't offer bulls and goats and we don't have to, but we can still make the offering. Because Christ was that offering for us. He shed his blood. In order for you to have that open door to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to just offer my whole heart to you. You see, here here, here it is, gang. You might be here today and you're not even questioning one iota about your salvation. You've dealt with the sin and the trespass offering years ago. And that's where you've been for years. Just trying to find a comfortable church to sit at just to find a, you know, that you know that to be absent from the body, to be in the presence of the Lord, you know that you have your fire insurance. You might be totally satisfied and content with that. I guess I would have to ask you why then? Why wouldn't you want to give more? Now, you know I'm not talking about money. We've never asked for money. Why wouldn't you want to give more of your heart to God? That's a question you answer in the quietness of your own heart. Why wouldn't you want to give more of your service to him? And why wouldn't you want to give more of your fellowship to God? With one another and with him. What stands in the way? Why are we just satisfied with just the sin issue? That it's been taken care of. See, that's what I get out of this chapter. That these were not mandated. These, you didn't have to do this. Now, this is a chapter of dedication. It's a chapter of offering something to the Lord. And um, there will be some regulations and some guidelines for them to do this. We're going to outline this. And so get your pen and paper ready. And um, First four verses, look at verse one. It says, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel. And say to them, when a man shall make a singular vow. Uh, and in other words, when he makes a, a, a special vow or a vow of dedication. The person shall be for the the Lord by thy estimation. And thy estimation shall be of the the male from 20 years old to 60 years old. Even thy estimation shall be 50 shekels of silver after the shekels of the sanctuary. And if it be a female, then thy estimation shall be 30 shekels. Now, this is when we start to really condense things. So the first four verses here, number one, is when you dedicate a person to the Lord. Again, this is not the offering of uh, consecration, not the burnt offering. The burnt offering, the, con- the offering of consecration, chapter 1, is where you personally just want to be sold out to God. This is what you're giving to the temple. This is what you're giving to the, for the upkeep, for the service. And uh, and you see that man from the age of twenty to sixty. It's and I'm not going to go into all the math of all the ounces. Again, there was no coinage back then. Everything was weighed out, and so we're talking about twenty ounces for men and about um, twelve ounces for for the women. Um, and again, when we go into the next section, chapter, I mean number two, the dedication of a boy and girl, it's the same thing. If you look, read along with me, verse five, if. If it be uh, from five years old even to seven or twenty years old, then the estimation shall be of a male twenty shekels, a female ten shekels, um, and then and then the priest begins to get involved with some of these dedications. That's what you're going to start to see. The priests are going to start to look at the value of what you're dedicating to the Lord, especially when it comes in the area of land and property. The priest then almost takes this role, like an accountant, and he'll say, okay, well, this part of the land can yield so much. And, and then you have the right even to redeem that back if you, if you needed to. So that's the, that's the idea in verse 8 there. So uh, point number two, the dedication of a boy or a girl, we have in verses 5 through 8. Number three is, again, it, it's a dedication of an animal. You'll notice in verse nine, if it be of a beast, an animal, whereof, then bring an offering of uh, unto the Lord, all that a man giveth, such unto the Lord shall be holy. And uh, again, it's a gift to the Lord. It's something you're dedicating. And most likely, some of these animals will be used for the tribe of Levite, the priestly tribe, and they'll be eating from it. And again, you're taking care. I guess it would be equivalent, like when we take an offering. Um, you guys uh, put your tithes and offerings in that basket and that keeps the lights on and uh, it keeps staff rolling. It, t- it pays for the utility bills. And so we can do this. So we can have uh, an exp- uh, Calvary Explorers, a boys club, single moms. And it takes all that in, you know, what you guys contribute in the offering. Uh, so that's what, that's what this is more or less um, equivalent to. Um, again, from verses 9 through 13, this dedication of animals, it says in verse 9, and if it be a beast whereof, bring it offering. I already read that. But down in verses 12 through 13, you see the, the, um, the involvement of the priest. If, say, you needed that animal back, you, you know, your calculations were wrong, you were allowed to go back and, and, and take that back, but there was a 20%, um, it, a fifth part, roughly around 20%, Um, that had to be dealt with there Uh, number four is the dedication of a house it says when a man shall sanctify his house he sets it apart wholly unto the lord he's dedicating it to the lord then the priest shall estimate it whether it be good or bad and the priest shall estimate it and so shall it stand and again i just love how thorough god is with all this and then now, now let me just kind of get away from this for a second, give you guys a break, because you're probably trying to read in between the lines, and that's A-OK. But um, what I get so far is how thorough God is in explaining how this all works. Aren't you? Yeah. Uh, isn't it gla- aren't we glad that even as New Testament believers that we, it's not a guessing game? That if you really are Bereans, students of the scriptures, that you really, you don't need to be out in limbo somewhere. You have everything that you need. You don't have to worry about whether I am teaching something. Well, you should yeah, pray for me. I don't ever want to teach anything wrong. But really, you should be able to judge everything that's being said from any pulpit. Even if you're visiting another fellowship, that you, you know, if something's not jiving, you're able to go back, check it out. You're a Berean. The Brians were of noble character. Even Paul encouraged them, don't believe the thing I say. Go back and check everything out. You are the student studying, rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen, guys? I love how thorough God is. He's saying, look, this is the deal. If your heart is so moved that you want to dedicate something to the temple and the temple grounds, well, then this is how you do it. And this is what you can expect. The priest is going to come. He's going to evaluate it. He's going to make an estimate. It, he's going to tell you what it's worth. And if you've got to go back and reclaim it back, well, there's overhead to that. Someone has already been paid to count it and take it in. So you're going to have to recoup that so there's no cost to the temple. I, it's just it's, it's, it's good accountability. And I just love how thorough God is, you know. Now, we're not talking about doctrine here. and. You know, I can see the struggle in that area. But when it just comes to the mechanics of things, I just love how God is so thorough. So again, number four, the dedication of a house. That's how it's to be played out. And then in in number five, the dedication of family property. You have land and you want to donate a part of the property to the temple area. This is what it says in verse 16. And if a man shall sanctify unto the Lord some part of uh, a field of his possession... Then thy estimation shall be according to the seed thereof. A homer barley seed shall be the value at 50 shekels of silver. And then again, uh, down in verse 19, um, if the person who dedicated that field wanted it it back, he's got to pay um, the value set by the priest and he can reclaim his possessions back. But also this is where the whole year of Jubilee comes into play as well. Now, we had studied that a couple weeks ago. Remember this, the year of Jubilee, that one particular year, everything, all your debt was canceled. If you had given land away, then you could, by right, reclaim that back without, without any cost at all. Uh, if you do it before the year of Jubilee, this is where the priest gets involved and they do their accounting. Um, again, God just showing us how thorough he is when it comes to explaining Now, number six is the dedication of of a field. Before it was a field owned by the property. It was estimated a value how much it could produce. Here, it's a field not belonging to your family. It's not an inheritance. Maybe you purchased it years ago, and now it's just laying there. And you're going, you know what? I'm going to dedicate this thing to the temple, to the area there. And so that's what you have, number six. Verses 22, uh, 22 through 25. Let's just look at verse 22. Two, if a man sanctify the Lord um, uh, unto the Lord a field which he hath bought, which is not of the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon unto him the worth of thy estimation, even unto the year of jubilee. And when that year of jubilee happens, then things, uh, th- things happen in a different way. Uh, Again, number seven is the dedication of the firstborn animals. Now, we're not talking about those animals that you would take for your sin offering or your trespass offering or even um, the burnt the grain, or the fellowship. This was something different. This is where you're saying, you know, I got all this. It's just like, why not? I'm going to give it to the temple and let them have it. And so it says in verse 26, only the firstlings of the beast which should be the Lord's? Firstly, not man shall no man shall sanctify it. Um, whether it be an ox or sheep, it's the Lord's. So once you get you get you've got to think. Okay, I put this thing. And let, it would be like saying once you put it in the offering basket, you got to trust the Lord that God who raised up the committee that's going to um, you know allocate. Well, it's going to the right place, and it's being used to further God's kingdom. Um, again, the same instructions about if you want something back is in verse 27. Uh, number eight, A sort of like a side note here uh, that the author throws in here. Notwithstanding, no devoted thing, that a man shall devote unto the Lord of all that he hath, both man, beast, a field his of his possessions shall be sold or redeemed. Um uh, every devoted thing is most holy it's been set apart unto the lord um, again it belongs to him then number number nine the final one is the uh, th- uh, you know some regulations uh, if you wanted to purchase it back uh, but then too this is the rule of first mention stay with me guys I know this is sort of like kind of boring and dragging on but there's rhyme and reason. This is the first mention of tithe uh, in the book of Leviticus. You think, man, Leviticus being all the Levitical laws and the hows and Hell how knots tos and all that kind of thing. This is the only time tithe is mentioned? Well, it is. Um, the word tithe means um, tenth. Uh, let's read the first verse. Uh, three verses here, th- uh, four verses. It says, all the tithes of the land, whether of the seed of the land, or the fruits of the trees, is the Lord, is holy unto the Lord. Number our Verse 31, and if a man will at all redeem all of his tithes, he shall add unto the fifth part thereof, uh, verse 20, uh, 32, concerning the tithes of the herd, the flock, even whatsoever. Pass under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. If he change it at all, then both it and the chain thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. Now this idea here with this idea of tithing. First of all, uh, the idea of the different value, the value system, and it's obvious that men were worth more than, than gals. Now, now you've got to remember the culture. And um, then men were stronger. Men would, could do more work longer. And so there was a higher value placed upon them. Um, dedicating a child to the Lord was not odd in the New Testament or Old Testament. Pardon me, you've got Hannah and Echaniah who dedicated their son to the Lord Samuel, the prophet. Um, it was just part of their culture. But the one thing that we see here is that this is all voluntary. It's not forced. Now, now stay with me for a second. Let's, let's fast forward to the New Testament. Do, do we see anything that's applicable? Well, I think so, guys. And I'm just going to look at one verse, um, and that's Romans chapter 12, where he says, and I want your attention more than you search, and you can always go home and check this out. But he says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the first thing Paul says is I'm appealing to you. I, I therefore beseech you, brethren. The word to beseech is it's almost where you see somebody um, with a sense of urgency, like this, is, this stands out. This is so important. He had just finished, Is God done with the nation? No, he's not done with the nation. And he goes, "Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, listen to me. Uh, this is the deal. He says, I, wanna, I want you to present yourself to God. He says, your, your, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service." He says to present yourself as a living sacrifice. He could have just said, "I want you to present yourself." Period. He could have said, "I just want to. I just. I want a sacrifice." But he says a living sacrifice. And those that that Old Testament um, coming to the, the that altar of judgment, you're 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 killing that animal. and It is then carved up and put on that altar to be consumed, all the fats and the entrails, everything so nothing's left. You you, you watch this thing burning. Now, if, if you're honest and you're kind of in the crowd and you smell all the barbecue going on, you would think, what a waste. Man, we could have fed a lot of people with that. That's why Paul said, don't consider yourself as a dead sacrifice." but someone who's alive, living. Again, it goes back to this free will offering of dedicating yourself to God as an offering, a, a consecration. But you're not just presenting yourself and then going home and forgetting everything. You're now entering into the mission field when you go through those double doors back there and you're a live sacrifice. That, that's what, listen, that's, you present yourself as something living, Because God has made you holy. God has made you holy. He has set you apart. He has called you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Gang, he's brought us into our promised land. We are in the kingdom of God. Do you realize when you came, you brought the kingdom along with you? A friend of mine just told me that. Isn't it great when we get together... With all the brothers and sisters, when they bring the kingdom of God with them. Oh no, we're, we're going to see a literal kingdom coming, a new heavens, a new Jerusalem. That definitely is coming. But according to the New Testament, the sphere in which God works in our lives collectively and individually is called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of his Christ. And you have brought that with you because you are a living Sacrifice. You're not just some hunk of meat just laying on a slab somewhere representing something. Christ did that for us. He says, Holy. He calls it acceptable. You've been accepted. God wants you just the way you are, to present yourself to him as a living sacrifice. Here I am, God. I know. Here we go. The offering of consecration, all my chips are in. And while we're at it, let's throw in the grain offering and the fellowship offering. I want everything. It's free will. I'm not forced to do it. I don't have to do it. You can go home and you can say, you know what? I'm just happy with my, my fire insurance. And you know what? Maybe my estimations are wrong, but... I would say more than half of the of Christian today fall in that category, over half. Where they're just believers and that's as far as it ever goes. And they, there's no concern about the widow and there's no concern about an orphan. and There's no concern about people starving to death. Because that's what a living sacrifice does. He's just not some dead slab of meat. He's living. He's active. And That dear apostle. So let your light shine before men that they might see your good works. That sounds like somebody who is a living sacrifice. Let them see your good works. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What are we today? Seriously, what are we? Are you, are you alive? Or are you just... Are you born again? I mean, that probably is a million-dollar question. Are you regenerated? Are you alive unto God? And if if you—if you're—and I would never embarrass anyone. That's not my game. But if you're here today and you don't know, can I be gentle enough, without offense, saying you're not saved? If you do not know, you are not saved. Because I couldn't live thinking that I let someone go out of this room guessing. Jesus said, marvel not what I say unto you. You need to be born again. Twice to Nicodemus, a religious roar. Marvel not what I say unto you. You've got to be born again. When you're born again, you are guaranteed heaven. But the walk with Christ is so much more. It's a life that's consecrated. It's a life that serves. It's a life that fellowship. There's life, an abundant life. He says in the latter part of verse 12, Romans 12, verse 1, which is your reasonable service. Guys, reasonable service? Well, what on earth does that mean? Well, if you were to look that up in Mr. Strong's, he would say, it's the most logical thing you could do. To me, it's so illogical to say, you know what? I'm just content with my fire insurance. To me, I'm. why would you want to live that way? To me, that would be so mundane, so... Just so empty. It's devoid of reasoning and anything that has to do with Christ. Just to say, I'm just okay. I'm going to go home and read my Reader's Digest, and you know what? I'm going to get up in the morning. I'll do. I'll go to work. Not mentioning Christ once, you know. And I'll just go, come home and go back to that. Is a dull life. Oh man, there's nothing more exciting and living than to serve the King. Are you with me, guys? Or my do we need to do jumping jacks or something? I get a response here. I, you know, I'm older now. I feel like David. I was young. Now I'm older. But um, I remember doing those mission trips when I was a lot younger. How alive I felt when I came home. Going into an area, Bubanishwar. Bunch of little Indian Christians hiding me in a trunk. You know, that's exciting. Go to watch somebody go from dope to hope. That's exciting. Just to lead some. Juan told me somebody after the second service got saved. That's exciting. To let my light so shine. That just get nuts. You with me, guys? That's how the book's finishing out for me. You don't have to do. You don't have to dedicate a thing to God. You don't have to. You can keep it all, and I'm not asking for anything. I real, I'm not. So don't take this message wrong. But you can keep it all. Not have one heart for anyone dying. Not have a heart towards an orphan. And James says, pure and undefined religion is the orphan and the widow. How do we turn our backs? On those kids, how do we do? We can't. Not if you're alive. You can't. Jesus said. Even Jesus challenged us about being holy, at the end of Matthew five. Twice, four times in Leviticus, be holy, for I am holy. You know, here's this is how how it. Satan doesn't have any new tricks, amen. So this love letter, this love message to to a, a human race. By the time this law got to the New Testament, by the time the New Testament came around, the law was so corrupted. The law, something so beautiful, so challenging now we're not saved by the law so don't 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 misunderstand me but even paul said that the law was holy he didn't even he said he would not have known what covetousness wasn't unless the law spoke against it by the time the the new testament came around it was so corrupt this is how corrupted it it came became you know jesus is dealing with the law with the pharisees and and the, and the scribes and and he's dealing with them, and they start to make these accusations. How he's destroying? He goes, "I'm I'm destroying the law." And you imagine having a dialogue with with a, a religious leaders. You're accusing me. Listen, Jesus said, "I'll give you point in case." You the, one of the glorious laws that says to honor your mother and father. You've corrupted it so much that all you have to do is say one word that negates it. Corbin, remember that Mark chapter seven. What well, with Corbin? What's that? Well, listen, the law got so corrupted that if you if you had a mother, or father still alive, and you had something where they needed it, you didn't have to give it to them. You didn't have to honor them. All you had to say is, "Sorry, Pop, it's Corbin." Yeah, son, but our couch, the springs are. Mom can't even sit on it anymore, and you got five of them in your house. I, I know, Dad, but you know, kind of dedicated it to the Lord. It's Corbin. And get, well, could you help us out with a car? I mean, we're we're, we're thumbing it. Mom and I were thumbing it, and uh, when you got five cars there, uh, you know what? They're all Ferraris, and I dedicated it to the Lord. It's Corbin, Dad. I can't help you. See how corrupt the law became? Well, it's equivalent to the Word of God today people mishandling the bible and interjecting things that ought not to be in it and manipulating for their own profitable gain that that to me is the corruption within the church today and it needs to be brought to our attention from time to time folks let me tell you something what we've read through the book of leviticus what we've read what we have studied is holy it's holy And it can set us apart. And I don't know, Rich, you can make your way out. But I'll tell you something. Um, I know the Lord wants us to be holy. Leviticus 20, consecrate yourself. Be holy because I'm holy. Even in Ephesians, when Paul was talking about you were once in darkness... But now you're in the light. In fact, you are light, Paul said. You, want, you were once in darkness. Now you're children of light. Now I want you to walk as children of the light. Your life will be different. It will be holy. It will be sanctified, set apart. You will be different. You know, the one thing that gets me. Every time I study this subject. Shut it. Are we okay? Okay. Every time I study this subject, I come to this conclusion: This is what Jesus wants me to be. This is his heart. Now here's a guy that died on the cross for your sin. Here's a guy that allowed them to beat him beyond human recognition. This is the guy who took our past, present, future sin. Now he was judged, He bled. And he goes, this is in my heart. My heart is this, that you consecrate your life to me. My heart is that you would serve me. My heart is that that you would fellowship with me. But I'm not going to force you to do it. I just want you to. Because I love you. How do you turn your back on that? Jesus, before he enters into the most darkest hour of his life, before he enters into Golgotha, the, I'm sorry, the garden, he prayed for us. John chapter 17, he prayed for us. And he says, Father, that you would sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. That you would sanctify them. You set them apart. You'd make them Holy. That was in his heart, guys. That's what I get out of the book of Leviticus. And he won't force us to do it. Would you stand with me this morning? And again, uh, if you don't know the Lord, maybe a lot of this is so foreign to you and Look, all, all he can tell you is he loves you so much. And what I just mentioned, he died, he buried, rose from the dead. He did that for you so you could have eternal life. And by accepting him in faith and allowing him to come in your heart, there's no doubt afterwards. There's no Any man come unto me, he said, I would in no wise cast him aside. And he's also... He doesn't respect people. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't pick and choose. It's his will that all come. So if you're here and you don't know him in a personal way, while Rich is closing us out in song, I just want you to pray and ask God to come into your heart, to reveal his son, to ask for forgiveness of sin. Tell him to come in. I want you inside. Come down and get someone that's in the prayer team and pray with them. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, I shared this as second service. You know, back when there was this, this thing called the Jesus People Movement. In fact, I was just talking to the deacons about this yesterday. There was something going on. Two, two things were going on. One, there was a move of God. And I know this sounds weird and I'll entertain anything you have to say, but what we experience today is not the same that we experienced back in the 60s and the 70s. It's not here. You can ask anybody that lived through that time period. It isn't. Something else is going on, but that isn't. You you just see kids coming in off the street, coming into a coffee house. 90% of them, you didn't even know how they got there. They were just there. The Presbyterians were experiencing a revival. The Charismatics were experiencing a revival. The the Episcopal Church could not keep kids from coming in. Something was happening. That's not happening today. I wish it would. There was something else that was happening. There was a... There was an emptiness in kids back then. There, there was this emptiness. We were always searching for something. The kids aren't searching for anything today. We just wanted to know what truth was. We wanted to know what God was. We, we would follow the Beatles, as weird as that sounds. We would do something. We would, get, we would trip out on LSD, put a blanket over our heads, and think we were praying to God. We just wanted God. Vietnam War was going on. We couldn't make rhyme and reason of it. Two or three of my friends died in the Nam War. I had a brother that was in Vietnam. Then Kent State. Then, then Stockton. And all those shootings happened. We just wanted peace. That's where the peace movement came from. That's not happening today. Kids don't feel like they need anything today except some kind of technology. I say that to say this. You could possibly be the only Bible people will ever read. You could be the only light that family members sees. And we'll keep praying for another revival. Amen, guys? So I'll say to you again, why not? Why just be content with fire insurance? Sell out. We live. I believe we live in the last days. There will be a famine for the word of God. And we're seeing it today. People don't even want a Bible study. Father, we thank you for this time. We just yield our hearts to you. And we love your word. In Jesus' name. Let's worship and prayer team, make your way down. If you need prayer for anything, come on down and pray with someone.